If we haven't met, my name is Jordan Howell. I'm on staff here as a college ministry pastor and excited to celebrate baptisms and close out our Revelation series. How about that? So if you're new, I just want to say I'm so glad you're here, whether you're visiting for the first time or supporting somebody being baptized. It is just a gift to have you worship with us. But we here as a church family have been walking through this book of Revelation since January, and we are in week 15 of 15. We're about to do it. And I want to say, we made it, but not yet. All right, we're getting close. Before we dig in, let me ask you a a quick question. How many of you guys love the idea of waiting in general? Like, you're really good at it, right? Maybe you are. Uh, Waiting is a strange thing because the reality is how we wait is dictated by what we're waiting for. How we wait is dictated by what we're waiting for. So you're probably doing a great job of waiting for your next trip to the car mechanic, right? Think about it. Like, you're doing a good job. You give you all the time in the world. You don't want to go back to the mechanic. Or your next tax deadline, you're not having a hard time waiting for, like, Monday to come to go back to work or for college students with finals week. Like, you're not having a hard time waiting on typing that paper that's due on Friday. You're really good at it, actually. None of us are struggling to wait for season 19 of presidential campaign ads. Uh, It's coming. It's coming. But we'll wait. We need a little more time, right? But on the other hand, there's things that we really do struggle to wait for. Summer weather, anybody? Like, give me some of that. And I found out when I was in college that I really struggled to wait for a steak to finish cooking on the grill. And that proved to my benefit. Uh, I grew up in a house that ate steak well done, and I figured out that is not good. That's really bad. But I only found out because of my impatience. Uh, The reality is we have smartphones, these things in our pockets. We can download countdown apps because we're so bad at waiting that we need an app to tell us how many days it is until a wedding or a vacation or the last day of school. Parents might be dreading that day, but students are looking forward to it. Uh, We are actually really bad at waiting. And as we've spent the last 14 weeks in this book of Revelation, the reality is that we are a waiting people. We're waiting. Jesus has come. He has made himself known. He has lived, died, resurrected. And now we're waiting for him to come back. And as we wait, that means we're waiting for God to come and judge evil and destroy wickedness. We're waiting for God to punish sin and Satan once and for all. And as God's people, we are waiting for him to deliver us, to save us from the wickedness of this world, and to bring a new heaven and a new earth where we will be with him for eternity. We're waiting. But these these realities have unpacked since week one. These last two weeks, they've become incredibly pointed. Two weeks ago, Ian talking about the reality of hell and judgment That God will come once and for all to deal with sin. He will destroy the world as we know it. And he will punish those who have not turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus. Talking about the lake of fire and what we know today as hell. Eternal separation from God. 
And then last week, Michael got a much lighter topic, praise be to God, this reality of heaven, right? That those who have turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus, who look at the perfect work of Christ and say, his death is my death and his resurrection is my resurrection, we get God forever. We get to worship him and be in perfect relationship with him for eternity, Now, these last two weeks, heaven and hell, they're meant to encourage us, to motivate us to faithfulness, but they seem so far away. And when it comes to waiting, this like off in the distant waiting actually doesn't help us. It can feel like it's just breeding laziness or we're lacking diligence. Though we know heaven and hell are real, We're not doing a great job of waiting as we ought to. And so the question we need to ask is, how are we supposed to wait in light of eternity? We're going to be in Revelation 22. Should be close to the last page on your Bible. Uh, If you go to the very back and then skip past like tables and maps and all that, you'll find it. Revelation 22, 6. Going to catch you up on where we've been. If you're new with us this morning, the Apostle John is actually exiled on an island known as Patmos, and he has received a vision from God. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is writing down all that he is seeing and hearing, and he is writing this book to a persecuted church in Rome, approximately AD 95. These are Christians whose lives are on the line as they follow Jesus. Many are being killed for their faith. And this book is meant to spur them on, to give them hope and encouragement that they would remain steadfast in the midst of opposition. It's a message of hope and joy in the sovereignty of God. In the original audience, not like us in the 21st century, they weren't asking all of the silly questions that we might ask today. They weren't getting caught up in all of the random details and minutiae. First off, they were more aware of Old Testament references than we are. But secondly, they were captivated by the main point, which is God is sovereign and God wins. In the end, God is victorious. They are wrapped up in that. And so as we approach this book, here's what we need to know. The book was not written to primarily be argued upon by the religious elite, but rather to be acted upon by everyday human beings. And when it comes to the return of Christ, Revelation is not written to calculate the date we're waiting for, but rather to challenge the way we wait. To challenge the way we wait. So, how are we supposed to wait for eternity? We're going to be Revelation 22, starting in verse 6. We'll read it to the end. The Spirit of God says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. 
Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Now, the benefit of this section of scripture is there's a lot of repetition. And that helps us who are slow to understand what the Bible is trying to communicate to us get really clear. And so when it comes to how are we supposed to wait, I want to just look at a couple things that get repeated to help us understand how we're supposed to wait. And the first is this. We are to wait faithfully by trusting in God's word. Wait faithfully by trusting in God's word. The words or phrases, these words or this book, are repeated eight times in this passage. These words, this book, eight different times. There's a clear emphasis to say we need to be looking at the book. We need to be understanding the book. We need to be trusting the book. And though the original audience in mind is clearly thinking revelation, as they should, the Spirit of God speaking through John is talking specifically about the book of Revelation. But here's what's also true. In 2023, we have the closed canon of the scriptures. And so though the original audience, yes, understood that we must trust this book, Revelation, we today must look at the closed canon of Scripture and say, not just Revelation, but our entire Bible. We must trust in God's Word. And I want us to see three different ways that we're actually called to trust in God's Word. The first is to keep God's Word. So to trust in God's Word is to keep God's Word. In verses 6 through 9, you see, first off, the words are trustworthy and true, but Jesus says, blessed, in verse 7, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then John has a worship fail. He falls down to worship an angel, and the angel tells him, hey, don't worship me. I'm just like one of you and the prophets and everybody who what? Keeps the words of this book in verse 9. And here's how he would tell you to keep the words of this book. Worship God. Worship God. Now, Veritas, worship. I love that we come here and sing on Sundays, and we, you all, do a great job of singing. But I'm here to tell you that worship is more than singing to God on Sundays. It's not less than that, but it is certainly more than that. This call to worship God is to bring all of our life to him in obedience, in word, thought, and deed, all for his glory. That is what it means to come and keep God's word, to take him at his word, to obey his word, and to do it worshipfully. 
And the good news is, in verse 7, there's blessing for us. That God would tell us as we keep his word, we experience blessing. And this isn't prosperity. This isn't health, wealth, and all of that. He is talking about a soul health. That we would be near to the very heart of God if we would look at this authoritative scripture and align our lives with it. He's saying you would be blessed. That's a gift. That's an invitation. But there's also a warning as we look at Revelation 22. Look at verses 18 and 19. He says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, these verses have been twisted and argued over for generations. And I want to tell you what it doesn't mean. The author, John, ultimately the Holy Spirit, is not trying to get at arguing over nominal translation differences in the English language. That's not what he's speaking to. John and the Holy Spirit are actually trying to get at the willful distortion of the message of God. The willful distortion of the message of God. And actually, Revelation 22 is not the first time that we see this in the Bible. Moses tells Israel several times. We'll look at Deuteronomy 4. This is Moses. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Deuteronomy 12, Moses again, everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. And as we get to Proverbs, wisdom literature, Proverbs 30, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. There is this warning against the willful distortion of God's message because he is telling us, my word is complete and it is sufficient and it is good for you. And so this warning is against what I would call lucky charms obedience. Here's what I mean. Lucky charms is awful, by the way. If you eat it, I'm judging you. But um, lucky charms obedience. You keep the sweet, fluffy marshmallows, and you throw out the whole grain oats. It's, it's invading the church. This idea of throwing around Matthew 7, don't judge, lest you too be judged, taking it out of context, and using that as an excuse to actually not obey Matthew 18 where we as Christians are called to confront one another when we're living in sin. Whether you're on the side that you're like, oh, somebody sinned against me and I need to go talk to them, or whether you are the one that has sinned against somebody and needs to be confronted, we can hide behind the fluffy marshmallow of Matthew 7 and say, well, who am I to judge? Or who are they to judge? They can't judge me. No, we're called to fight for one another's holiness in the family of God. Or how about this? 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Everybody loves love. We all want, we all want love. You know, 
Let's just love people. Let's just be patient and kind with them. And I'm not here to say, don't do that. But I am saying, in 1 Corinthians 6, a few chapters before, we also see a text that says, the unrighteous and the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's weighty. So sometimes the loving thing that we need to do is tell people that they are living a life leading to destruction. That is a loving thing to do. But culture would not tell you that. That's not fluffy marshmallow theology, okay? We actually have to take God at his word, all of it, the stuff that's easier to take and the stuff that's harder to take and say, God, this is all from you and for you, and I want to obey you. Which actually leads to the second way that we trust in God's word, which is letting God be God. Letting God be God. Or you could say, understanding that you are not God. Verses 11 through 13 actually push back against a cultural wave of utopianism. This idea that we as human beings can save the planet and do away with sin. You know, we have the power to end racism or deal away with poverty. Right? Verse 11 says, Let the evildoer still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I, Jesus, am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. If we want a perfect society, we need a perfect being to create it. We cannot usher in a perfect society, Veritas. Now, hear me, that doesn't mean that we as Christians or we as a church should not care about justice. We absolutely must care about justice. We should have a heart that hates racism, hates poverty, hates oppression, and hates evil, but we also need to understand that we are limited in the size and scope of our influence. We, as Christians, do not have the power to change a human heart, and therefore we do not have the power to create a sinless society, but God does. And so the charge is, let's do our part, but let's not put our hope in creating this perfect world. Rather, let's be willing to say, I'm going to be faithful until God himself comes and creates this new heaven and new earth. He did it all the way back in Genesis, in Eden. And what did we do with it? We screwed it up. And guess what? He's going to come back and make all things new. He will do it. So let's be faithful. Let's let God be God. That's the second one. The third is to trust fully in the gospel. Trust fully in the gospel. Verses 14 through 17 have so many sweet gospel texts. I'm just going to read it for us. Blessed are those who wash their robes. It's talking about Revelation 7. You know, how are we clean? How are our robes washed? By the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ so that they may have the right to enter the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. 
I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Jesus is saying, I am the promised Messiah that you have been waiting for since Genesis 3. The spirit and the bride, verse 17, say, come. And the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. It's a quote from Isaiah 55. You know, if you want a relationship with God, here's what you need, the water of life, and it's available to you without price. But that doesn't mean it didn't cost anybody. It was incredibly costful to God. It cost him the death of his one and only son. But it's free to you. To say that if you are thirsty, if you recognize that you are not satisfied in the things of this world, that you can come and be satisfied in God without price to you because Jesus has made a way. That's what verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. It's all about grace, unmerited favor, a gift available to you. But here's what we need to know. Verse 16 Jesus says, I've sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. So Veritas, I am here to tell you that the gospel is not simply for those who do not know Jesus. The gospel is for those who are in Jesus. You're not just saved by the gospel, you're sustained by the gospel. And Jesus here is refreshing the church in the gospel to give them courage to cling to him. To say, what God has started in you, he will bring to completion in Christ Jesus. But also, he is using gospel language to say, the only way you get into heaven is because he's washed your robes. Is because he's satisfied your thirst. Is because he's the Messiah. And that has to make us stop and look at verse 15 and be moved with compassion. To see those outside and to long to see them repent and believe. And so, though this text is not primarily written to those who are not in Jesus, if you have not placed your trust in Jesus this morning, I want to extend an invitation to you. It is not too late. You can turn from your sin. You can trust in Jesus. He can satisfy your soul. And one of my favorite stories of forgiveness is found in Luke 23. It's the criminal on the cross. This is a man who has committed what we know is probably one of the worst crimes in culture. The fact that he's being crucified, it's reserved for some bad dudes. And he's lived his entire life contrary to God, and he is being crucified, and on his deathbed, he looks at Jesus, has the gift of faith, and says, wow, Jesus is innocent. He is Sinless. He is the Son of God. And what does Jesus say to this man? He says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. There's a Scottish pastor who's no longer with us. He's an old man. Um, He has this quote that says, The Bible, which spans over a period of 4,000 years, records but one instance of a deathbed conversion, one that none may despair but one that none may presume. There is one deathbed conversion in the entire Bible, and it is there to communicate with you two things. Number one, you are not too far gone. If God can save the criminal on the cross, he can save you. But here's the second truth. You cannot wait. 
You cannot presume. You cannot just assume that you're going to get another chance later in life. There is a call to quick repentance and obedience. So to keep God's word, to let God be God, to trust fully in the gospel. That's how we trust in God's word. But the second way that we're called to wait faithfully is by anticipating Jesus' return. Anticipating Jesus' return. Five times in our text, you see the words near or soon. Near or soon. In verse 10, he says, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. This stands in stark contrast to Daniel 12. Daniel has been referred to multiple times in Revelation. This like pointing forward to the apocalypse, the end times. But Daniel, in chapter 12, is told to seal up his prophecy. Seal up this book until the time of the end. But now, here in Revelation 22, John gets a word from the Lord and says, do not seal this up, which communicates what? The end is near. There's no need to seal it up because the time of the end is here. And then we see Jesus three times. Verse 7, behold, I am coming soon. Verse 12, behold, I am coming soon. Verse 20, surely I am coming soon. And I just have to, I have to press in here lovingly. Give me grace as I do this. If you are anything like me, you struggle to believe this. You struggle to actually believe that Jesus is coming soon. And here's what, here's what it does to us. It makes us lazy. We're jaded Christians that go through the motions on a daily and weekly basis and never give thought to the imminence of Christ's return. We don't even think about the fact that Jesus could come back despite the fact that he has said in his word, I am coming soon. And maybe we're jaded because there have been hundreds of false predictions. We shouldn't be shocked by that. Jesus himself says, no one knows the time. So if anybody tells you they know the date, they don't, all right? Maybe we're jaded by that, or maybe we're jaded by the fact that this book was written almost 2,000 years ago, and it still hasn't happened. And we've started to not actually trust God at his word. But Veritas, let me tell you this. I don't know the date when Jesus is coming back, but we're the closest we've ever been, right? Closest we've ever been. And every time Jesus tells a parable about when he's coming back and what that's going to look like, There's multiple of them in scriptures. Read for yourself. Mark 13, Matthew 24 and 25 will get you a good start. Here's the repeated theme. Christians are to be diligent. They're to live with anticipation. We're supposed to actually live and operate as though Jesus is coming back today. Because the second reality is he is coming back when nobody expects it. Like a thief in the night. Jesus will come when it is least expected. And to the skeptic of the Bible who looks at Revelation 22, and you're saying, yeah, okay, soon, sure. We've been waiting 2,000 years. I want us to look at 2 Peter 3. Peter actually, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knows that this is going to happen. In verse 3, he says, Knowing this, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Verse 4, they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? 
So much for soon, right? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? In our human minds, we can stop right now in 2023 and say, the Lord has been so slow. Like soon, really, come on. But the Lord is patient, right? A thousand years, it's like one day. And every day that he has not yet returned is him just being so patient, merciful, gracious, because he wants more and more people to experience him, to be satisfied in him, to turn from their sin and be saved from destruction. That is why it feels like he is slow, is because he is patient, He wants more people to turn to him. And when we understand this, there's two practical implications. 2 Peter 3, 14 and 15. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, talking about the new heavens and new earth, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to to you according to the wisdom given him. When I was a teenager, my mom would tell me when I had a dentist appointment. And she would say, hey, Jordan, you have a dentist appointment on Wednesday morning. And you know what I would do on Wednesday morning? I would go to town on my dental hygiene. You know, like, give me, give me the toothpaste, give me the flosser, give me the mouthwash, whatever I need to do. Because I thought then, when the dentist would ask me, have you been flossing lately? I'm like, yeah, lately, right? Like, It's pretty easy to get my act together on the day of. And what's true is when I know that my dental exam is coming up, I pay careful attention to my dental hygiene and I actually care better for my teeth. Now, let's cross the bridge here. If Jesus is coming back and he's coming back soon and we actually acted like it, how much more careful attention would we pay to our faith? How much more spiritually mature would we become if we actually anticipated that he was coming back today? I dare to say we would grow a ton in our faithfulness. Think about this. What would it look like if you fought for your purity like Jesus was coming back today? What would it look like if you forgave other people like Jesus was coming back today? What would it look like for you to worship through hardship to rejoice in trials as though Jesus is coming back today. Right? The call is to live as though you're without spot or blemish, to take your faith seriously, but not just that, 
to count his patience as an opportunity for salvation? What would it look like for us to pray for the lost like Jesus is coming back today? What would it look like for us to share the gospel like Jesus is coming back today? What would it look like for us to support missionaries like Jesus is coming back today? A lot different. And we would get to see God do amazing things. And this is how we're supposed to wait. So Veritas, how are we supposed to wait for eternity? Wait faithfully on the Lord by remembering that his word is true and he's returning soon. His word is true and he's returning soon. I want to get practical in terms of application. The first is that we are compelled and invited to put our trust solely and fully in the finished work of Christ. This gospel invite to say, your opportunity to spend eternity with God in heaven has already been paid for by Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection. Nothing you can earn or obtain, but only something that you can receive. It's by grace. Would you trust in Jesus? Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, you need to remember that you cannot graduate from the gospel. Secondly, we need to be a church that reads our Bible. We need to be a church that reads our Bible. If we want to trust in God's word, if we want to keep God's word, we need to be in God's word. Because much like the early church, there are times and there are days where your faith is frequently being attacked. And here's what I know to be true. You cannot endure endure a week of war on a Sunday snack. You cannot endure a week of war on a Sunday snack. We are in a spiritual battle. Your faithfulness is constantly being tested. And if this is the only time you eat during a week, you are going to lose. We need to be people that are reading God's word so that we can encounter him, that we can be blessed by him, that we can be strengthened by him that we can be convicted by him, draw close to him. We need to read our Bible. We can't keep his word if we don't know his word, right? To read our Bible. Lastly, I think this one is the most challenging, but have to take it straight from the text. Revelation twenty two twenty. John's response to all of this, the entire book of Revelation, in Jesus' return, he says, Come, Lord Jesus. That's his prayer. A three-word prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you start praying that? And would you pray it in faith? Not just going through the motions, but praying in faith, saying, Jesus, I want you to come back today. Come, Lord Jesus. Because that will have implications on your faithfulness. Number one, you'll die to your idols pretty quick. I remember before I was married, honestly, having this heart posture of, okay, Jesus, I want you to come back. Just wait till May 28th, all right? Like, your boy wants to get married. And it's like, really? Jordan, snap out of it, man. Like, Jesus coming back is going to be better than your wedding day. Jesus coming back is going to be better than anything this world has to offer you. And if you would start praying, come Lord Jesus, you would actually understand that. You would come out of Babylon like we're called to. Secondly, If you would pray, come Lord Jesus, you'll start living present. We live in the future. In some ways, that's just not helpful, whether that's dream or dread. 
We're just caught up in the next great thing that we're going to do here on this earth. And sometimes that just leads us down this path to idolatry. But other times we're so afraid of what's coming that we're robbed of our hope, we're robbed of our joy. We forget that this world is not our home. Heaven is our home. This suffering is temporary. And we will be with God forever. We'll be able to live in the present. And lastly, I believe if you pray, come Lord Jesus, you will start sharing the gospel. Because though for the Christian, Jesus returning is a great security, is a great comfort to us. It is a word of condemnation on those who do not know Jesus. And so, if you're praying, come Lord Jesus, you're saying on one hand, deliver me from evil and use your just judgment to punish those who are not following you. So we can't pray this prayer and then not tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. That the forgiveness we've received is also available to them. To pray, come Lord Jesus, and then to start opening our mouths and telling people that there is a way of escape, that they can be known, that they can be satisfied in the God of the universe. And if we would take God at his word, if we would trust that he is coming back soon, not only would we be blessed, though that's a promise in this text, We would be incredibly near to the Lord. We would also be able to actually take advantage of the Lord's patience. That we would get to see God save more people in our city, on our campuses, maybe even in our homes. Because we step up and say, God, I cannot sit back and stay silent when you are coming back. And it's a joy. On Baptism Sunday, we get to celebrate new life in Christ. But every time we do this, my prayer is, God, don't let this be the last baptism service we have here. Like, God, do it again. But if that, in that, I also have to pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Take us home. But if you're patient, we want to see new life in Christ. So I want to pray for us to respond to Revelation 22, respond to this book, and make much of the saving work he's done in the lives of the individuals being baptized today. Pray with me. Father God, you are a God that speaks. You are a God that has spoken through your word. You've made yourself known to us. And not just in the pages of scripture, but in the person of Christ. Jesus, thank you that you took on sin. You who knew no sin became sin so that in you we might become the righteousness of God. Help us to trust you, to take you at your word, to place our faith in your finished work, not on something we can obtain. And God, I pray that you would come back soon. That you would deliver us from the brokenness of this world. That you would help us long for your return to be close to you. But as you wait, as you show your patience, God, help the gospel to be fresh on our lips, soften hearts, and open eyes for more and more people to trust you and be saved by you, Jesus. We pray. Amen.